0: Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. All right, so we're going to start a new series today called The Problem Is. Uh, and just to kind of give you a background of that, how many of you have ever went and asked somebody, why haven't you completed this? Or why haven't you done this? And they said, well, the problem is, Any of you ever talk to your children and say, why haven't you cleaned your room? And they say, well, the problem is, I'm like, I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is you need to get up out of that bed and get to cleaning. Well, the problem is, no. So I want to talk a little bit about what the problem is. And we can go throughout the Bible. And there's many people when, when speaking to God and God would speak back to them, they would use that same line to God. God would ask them. Well, why haven't you done this? And they'd say, "Well, well, the problem is." And I said, why, "Why didn't we accomplish this?" Well, well, the problem is. I think there's no better example of that than when the Lord spoke to Moses through a burning bush that was not consumed, and He asked Moses to go and confront Pharaoh. At first, Moses said, "Here I am, Lord." And then I think the gravity of the situation hit him. And he went from, here I am, Lord, to he gave five excuses to God about why he couldn't. He said, uh, first of all, the problem is, who am I? I know you and I are talking, but who am I? And so they're, they're, the problem is, Lord, I don't know who I am. And because I don't know who I am, I don't know that they'll know who I am. He forgot who God was. Then he gave a second excuse. He said, uh What happens when they start asking questions? I won't have all the answers. Well, God gives all the answers. Then he said, uh, but if I give them the word that you gave to me, they won't believe me. They won't believe that you sent me. Then he said, uh, even at that, Lord, I am terrible at speaking publicly. I, I just, I can't do it publicly. I didn't think the Lord asked him to speak publicly. I thought the Lord asked him to speak to Pharaoh. See, when we get into the gravity of the situation or the calling on our lives or the mission of the task that God has for us, we, the people of God, first say, here I am. I'm here, I'm ready. Then we say, oh, wait a minute here. Who am I? Uh, they won't believe me. I don't have all the answers. And I'm terrible at whatever you're asking me to do, God. And then the fifth excuse And this lets me know that the enemy is at play. His fifth excuse is, I'm not qualified. The problem is, Lord, I'm not qualified to do what you've asked me to do. And I think it's wonderful timing of the Lord that we would tackle this series right here. Because I believe the Lord is asking this house to do something that if you're not careful, you'll disqualify yourself out of it. I believe that God is going to ask many of you into ministries and into dreams and destinies that he has for you. And at first, during January, during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, you said, here I am, Lord. And now that we're getting ready to go into it, all of a sudden we say, wait a minute, who am I? I'm not qualified. See, the problem is, God, I have a past. The problem is, God, we're from Heron. The problem is, Lord, we're from Southern Illinois. That's the problem. But in all of the things that you say the problem is, you are overlooking the solution. The more you doubt yourself, it's actually the more you're doubting God. Because if God calls you to it, God will equip you for it. If God wants you to do it, he'll anoint you to do it. And So I I just wondered if Moses understood that in all of his problems and in all of his excuses that he listed out before God that he stopped at the number five, grace. God will give you the grace to do whatever you think you cannot do. Many of us think that grace is just the unmerited favor of God, but it is also strength that the Lord gives to us. And the Lord will bring strength into our lives. And so I I don't know if he realized that God's grace would overcome whatever the problem was. Whatever the problem is, God will give the grace and the ability to overcome that. And there are oftentimes we will do the exact same thing with God. We will argue with God. So let me just ask this question. You don't have to answer, but if you're not going to answer, don't elbow your neighbor. How many of you have ever argued with God? I do that often, such as I've been arguing with God since I turned these notes in, because when I turned my notes in, I had three lines. And today I walk out here with more words than I probably can fit in the four or five hours we're going to be together. Because oftentimes God wants you to operate in faith, not in your natural senses. And God, we get nervous, wondering if God's going to show up. And then we think that God is often late. But when you walk in faith, you realize that God will always show up. And even if you think he's late, he's always on time. So we have to operate in that kind of faith in our lives that when God asks us to do something, we don't say, but who am I? You can go through every biblical character and every biblical character has a reason why God should not have used them. See, Job had a problem. His was suffering. Moses suffered suffered with feeling inadequate. Caleb had a problem with fear. Samson was worldly. David had a problem with being a slanderer. Jehoshaphat had a problem with being being anxious or with anxiety. Joseph had a problem that probably many of you had. Joseph had a problem. It was his brothers. How many of y'all have a problem with your family? Again, you don't have to raise your hand and don't elbow the person next to you. Elijah had a problem with depression. Jonah had a problem with prejudice. Isaiah had a problem with Guilt. Jeremiah had a problem with doubt. Ezekiel had a problem with the trouble of his time. Haggai had a problem with materialism. Malachi had a problem with indifference. Every character in the Bible had some reason why God could not use them. And most of the time, that that reason comes from the opinions of other people. See, Timothy was too young, but Abraham was too old. Moses was too slow of speech, But Aaron, he was too glib. Elijah was too depressed, but Elisha was bald. Gideon was too scared. Esau was too hairy. Zacchaeus was too short, like me. Jonah was a runaway. Joseph was a convict. Rahab was a prostitute. Sarah laughed or scoffed at God. Noah got drunk. Samson had an impulsive control disorder. Peter sank. Thomas was a doubter. The Ethiopian was a eunuch. Mary was a virgin. Jesus was from Galilee. The woman had an issue in her blood. The lame man was laid by the gate. Bartimaeus was blind. Paul was the chiefest of sinners. These were their excuses. And every one of them, in spite of their excuse, God used them. So my question to you is, what is your excuse? We can go through every one of those and say, I'm disqualified because of, the problem is, and yet God still chose to desire to use you to do the work of the kingdom of God. So shall it be in 2023 that we lay down all of our excuses, all of our shortcomings, all of the opinions of other people, and let's just do the will of God for our own lives? If you live with Melissa, you'll know this. For every problem, there is a solution. Melissa will go for every solution. We used to say in meetings, we would say the person at the table that has the power is not the person who can point out a problem. The person at the table has the power who can point to a solution. We all know the problems, but what are the solutions? We know the problem of our society that there are strong men loose in our nation. We recognize that there is a spirit of death over our nation. We can talk about all the problems, but when we focus on the problem, we are ignoring the solution. So there should be more talk about him giving life and life more abundantly than the spirit of death that is over our nation. Certainly, we can point to the problem that abortion is running rampant, that there is a spirit of death and anger. There is unnatural affection. All the things of the end time are happening. But if we just trump, but all the negativity, we are ignoring the spiritual positivity that comes about when we take authority over the things that are going on in our society. So I would tell you that the problem is, the one problem that God cannot conquer is unbelief. The problem is unbelief in the church. And now just give me a few moments here and I want to talk to you about unbelief. Jesus in Mark chapter four is teaching the people in parables, he goes through the parable of the sower. He talks about when the sower sows the seeds and there are three types of soil that the, the, the sower would have his seed land upon. Then just after that, he talks about the purpose of parables, how, why he teaches them. Then he teaches a parable about hiding your light under a basket. Many of you used to sing the song in Sunday school. Will I hide it under a bushel? We will yell no. Jesus taught that in a parable about the light being under a basket. Then he teaches the parable of a growing seed. He talks about a mustard seed. And just after the parable of the mustard seed, he talks about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus earlier, or at another time, had taught another lesson, another parable about the mustard seed. In that one, he spoke, he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Y'all remember that? If you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain but in this context jesus says something different about a mustard seed and i believe that we as a church especially us in leadership or if you're in leadership in this church, we should take heed to this teaching about the mustard seed. I would say this teaching about the mustard seed is equally as important as the one where he taught about having faith the size of a mustard seed. Because if we don't heed this teaching on the mustard seed, we will restrict people using their faith like a mustard seed. Let, let me read the teaching to you. He said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? This is Mark 4, verse 30 through 32. What shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up. It becomes greater than all herbs, and it shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, Jesus had just been teaching, encouragingly about the, word, the kingdom of God. And then he, after he just leaves off teaching about the kingdom of God, he ends the teaching with a warning. It's the one that we should take heed to. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows to the point that birds... Lodge within its branches. Now, nowhere in the world historically has a mustard seed ever grown into a tree big enough to support birds, let alone their nests. I believe that Jesus was saying something very profound to us. He was saying that as the kingdom grows, it will expand unnaturally in its organization and in its structure. It will become bigger in its organization and in its structure than it was ever intended to be. He said it would grow so much that birds, birds are the biblical symbol of evil. That evil will lodge within this tree. It will lodge within the kingdom of God. That evil will lodge within the organization and the structure of church. And we can build structure and organization to the point in the church that evil comes in. And what does that evil do? That evil restricts faith from being exercised. Church wants to limit the move of God organization and structure was to denounce the miraculous it turns from a church into a religious organization and as revival begins to move forward structure and organization take precedent over the move of God and we must be very careful that as we enter into this revival that we don't derail a move of God by trying to contain the spirit of God within our structure that we humans have created we need to throw out all the rules of church and let God be God and let the spirit have its way whenever the spirit wants to have its way because if we're not careful We'll say we need to develop a committee that talk about what just happened. Come on. Come on. y'all mopping what I'm dropping. I'm not saying that structure and organization are not legit. But what happens is, is organization and structure are always threatened by revival. Because revival turns into a wildfire. And what happens when there is a fire? It is in our nature to want to put the fire out. But we need to let the fire of the Holy Ghost just have its way and not try to put the fire out. I would rather have a wildfire than no fire at all. Y'all good? I feel like I'm straining just a little bit. But what happens when you get organization and structure, you take the simplicity of the gospel and you turn it into a complex hierarchy. Well, and if you want to be used by God, you've got to get the approval of 55 committees. Did Moses have to go through 55 religious committees to say we need to get out of bondage? Pastor, I think you should develop 53 committees to discuss whether or not deliverance is appropriate in the church. Well, if Jesus operated in a ministry of deliverance, I think the case is settled. Pastor, I need, you to, I need you to talk to those people that are speaking in tongues. I don't like it when they speak in tongues. So I'm going to take you before this committee to find out whether tongue talking is really real or not. Well, if he said in Zephaniah that he would speak to you through a pure language and every language on the face of the earth has been polluted, then I think we need a heavenly language to talk to a heavenly God. So complexity and hierarchy swallow up liberty. It swallows up freedom that God has placed in the church. And so if we're going to have mustard seed size faith to speak to mountains, then the hierarchy of the church, the structure of the church ought not to squelch or quench the spirit of God that is moving in the person that wants to speak to their mountain. Because we'll become like the people around Bly Bartimaeus. Hush. Shh. Jesus has an important appointment. Well, Jesus has the anointing to heal the blind. So why not let him operate in his anointing instead of your appointment? It's a a message, maybe that's just for me, because all of us as pastors, we think we have something important to say in every church service but as God is my witness and the staff is my witness, I speak to the staff and the, the teams here every service before they take the pulpit or they take the stage and I said, I don't care if I preach today, let's have a move of God. I don't care about all this other stuff, let's have a move of God. I don't care what people have to say, let's have a move of God. I don't care what they're writing about us on Facebook, let's have a move of God. I don't care what they're voting and let's have a move of God. I don't care what the politics are saying, let's have a move of God. I don't care what's popular, let's have a move of God. I don't care. No, I want to have a move of God. you get healed in a moment with God. I couldn't do it in a lifetime of preaching, but one touch of the master's in, and you can be delivered and made whole with Jesus. And it's a test for all of us. There'll be things that will go on in church that will shock you. But revival, my friend, is messy. Thank you. I don't know who did that for me. Thank you. Revival is messy. It's going to get messy. But listen, we've, been, we've, we've, we've talked about how bad things are. We've talked about the spirit of death. We've talked about drug addictions. We've talked about all those things. It, enough talking about them. We have the solution to them. And what happens to us is the church grows accustomed to talking about the problem and gets uncomfortable with the solution. We would rather have people committing suicide, committing abortions, committing murder, and having a heyday out there in the world than lo and behold, it mess up my schedule in the church service. We need to be very careful that we don't put God in our little box, that this is the way we've always done church, this is the way I was raised, and my grandma said, and my grandpa said, and five pastors who aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, they had to say listen how about you let God be God and let us fall in line with whatever God wants to do and I believe that God wants to take this region and he wants to deliver he wants to set free he wants to heal he wants to save he wants to do what only he can do So listen, after every teaching, there is a test. So after this teaching that Jesus had just laid down on them, on the same day, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So he speaks to the disciples. He says, we're going to go to the other side. Now, when they got into the boat, there were other little boats that were with them. So most of us, we focus on the one boat that Jesus was in, but because there were other people that got into other boats. Let me just say it to you like this. When you restrict the spirit of God in your life, it affects other people. Equally true, when you let the Spirit of God do what the Spirit of God wants to do, it affects other people. While this boat is going in one direction with Jesus, there are other boats that are tagging along beside of us. And so if if Purpose House restricts the Spirit, then what we're doing is restricting the Spirit for other people who may not be a part of this house, but they're associated with this house. And they're hoping that we pave a pathway through the storm that they likewise can follow. So if we restrict revival, we're affecting our entire region. So that's why I'm telling you, we need to have revival because when God begins to fill up this house, there are some other boats, other churches that are going to get filled up as well. And so if we have revival, we don't have enough room to contain everything that God wants to do. So we've got to have a revival so that the overflow fills into some other boats. So they got in the boat, other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose and the waves and the wind began to beat into the boat so that it began to fill. Now, Jesus had just talked to his disciples about the word. And just before Jesus got into the boat, he gave them a word. Did he not? He gave them a word. I think they were so interested in getting in the boat that they forgot the word. They were so interested in the destination that they forgot the word. They were so enamored by the fact that they got to hang out with Jesus, get to hang out with Jesus, that they forgot the word. And the word was, get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side. Oh, but we're getting in the boat with Jesus, in this cool? Purpose House has Jesus in it. Let us not forget the word. You can get enamored with what the church does and forget the word. You can worship idols on the platform and forget the word. But the word was... We're going to go to the other side. And Jesus had just said, I'm going to teach you something. And now, guess what? Here comes a test. I'm going to give you a word, and now you're going to get a test. How many of y'all got a word during 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, let me break some news to you. Here comes the test. Because the enemy wants to find out what kind of soil you have. Jesus sowed a word into you. And will you have soil that chokes it out? Will you have soil that's thorny? Will you have soil that's hard? Or will you have soil that lets that word grow deep inside of you and it performs a great work and begins a 30 or 60 or 100-fold harvest in your life? The enemy wants to know whether or not the test can knock the word out of you. Oh, that's good. Boy, that's good. Yeah. And there have been times in my life where i felt like the enemy has just cold-cocked me, but I've never allowed him to knock the word out of me. Because if God gives you a word, you better hold fast to it. because that word is what's going to take you through the storm. That word is what's going to take you to the other side. You need to hang on to the word that God gave you. And what the enemy will say, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Why hasn't it happened yet? Well, just hold up, enemy. We haven't got to the other side yet. And when we get to the other side, his word's going to come true in my life. And he said, we're going to the other side. And you've been blowing against my boat. You've been making waves against my boat. You've had doctor's reports against my boat. You've had liars against my boat. But my boat's going to the other side because Jesus said it and I'm not going to turn around and go back to where I left I'm going to the other side I'm going to where Jesus told me I should go because on the other side was a man from Gadara and had they turned around and went back they would have missed the man from Gadara so on the same day when evening had come he said hey let us cross over to the other side Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, isn't this like us? Jesus gives us a word. We go through a storm, and we think Jesus has left us. And the first thing we say to Jesus is... Don't you care that I'm dying? Don't you care that my children are lost? Don't you care that I'm going through this disease? Jesus, you're asleep. Well, whenever Jesus is asleep, he's not sleeping out of, out of ignoring you. He's actually sleeping in confidence that the storm is already handled. Matter of fact, he expected the disciples to deal with the storm and let him sleep. Because there are some things in our lives that we can speak to and we don't need Jesus to speak on our behalf. We're just quoting Jesus. Don't you care that we're perishing? And then he arose, he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And I preached a sermon one time called a storm named peace. Cause if you notice there, peace is capitalized. Peace, that's the name of the storm. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I just talked to you. I just told you. Why don't you have any faith? And they feared exceedingly. Now, here's, here's go back to the mustard seed, where structure and hierarchy and opinions can dictate the move of God. They had just witnessed Jesus perform a miracle, and instead of being wonderfully excited about the miracle, the Bible says they have feared exceedingly. In the Greek there, it means they were terribly afraid. It's not talking about reverence. They were afraid of what just happened in front of their eyes, and I don't understand why church folk get upset when God performs the miraculous in his house, and they get upset, and they leave the church. I would tell you, here's why, because they are enamored with the words of Jesus, but not the acts of Jesus. It's one thing to hypothesize about the miraculous. It's one thing to hypothesize about people being devil possessed. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, those people are going to get saved. But it's another thing to be there when it happens and not be worried about what is going on and when the enemy starts showing himself and growling and doing all kinds of things because he wants to maintain control over us. It's one thing to say, you know, I wish that would happen. It's something else to stick it out while it's happening. I would say our church, we have so much church fragility in the world today that it doesn't even take devil, it doesn't even take devils in the house to scare people off. All it takes is the Holy Spirit to scare some people off. It all takes is some worship that isn't like what they're used to and they leave the church. I want to go over there where it's died dead and dry and the wind doesn't blow. Well, I'm afraid of the wind. Why is it that there's so many, so many people that are comfortable with spirits, just not a holy one? Why are you so fearful? Why, why did you fear exceedingly? And they said one to another, who can this be? Hey, you've been walking with him and talking with him. You ought to know who it is. What, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So when they find themselves in danger and the danger of the boat sinking and they're drowning, you can see their expectation of the storm. Notice they, they pronounced their expectation of the storm and not of Jesus. Don't you care that we're perishing? That's their expectation. They had more faith in the storm than the one who was sleeping. Don't you care that we're going to die? They should have said, hey, Jesus, I just watched you make a happy meal, turn into the golden corral. I just watched this happen and that happened. I know you're going to take care of this too. But what we often do is we elevate the storm and we bring down Jesus. We need to elevate Jesus and bring down the storm. So Jesus arose, and the first thing Jesus did is he spoke to the storm. We want to speak to people first and correct their theology. Speak to the storm, then teach the people. I love all these people that talk to us about some of our missions work here. Why are you feeding the people? Why aren't you out there preaching? Because I have found it's very hard for people to hear preaching over the grumbling of their stomach. So we're going to speak to the storm and then we're going to speak to the people. We're going to take care of their problem and then use the taking care of their problem as an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. So he rose, he spoke to the problem. Then he spoke to the, spoke to the he spoke to the storm. He declared peace. And then Jesus said, why are you so fearful? I just spoke to you about this. All it took was a little bit of wind and waves and you got afraid, how is it that you have no faith? You would think after that, they'd be like, Jesus, we're sorry. But then they just went further in their fear, and feared exceedingly. And they were overwhelmed with fear. They were terrified. And this tells me that there are people who desire verbally the supernatural. But when it happens, they're terrified by it. When the supernatural comes into a room, it will clear out a whole bunch of religious folks. They talk a good game, but can't stay in the game. I found that most religious folks don't actually want to play the game. They just like to be the umpires and the referees. See, an umpire and a referee doesn't care what the game plan is. All the umpire and the referee wants to do is call who's out, who's in, who's safe, and who needs to be ejected. We got way too many religious folks that want to be umpires. We need more frontline people that want to play the game and want to stay in the game. It isn't up to you to decide who's in and who's out and who's rejected. It's not up to me. It's up to him. And he said whosoever will, let him come. I don't care if they're white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, Japanese. He said let so whosoever will, let him come. But we got church organizations and hierarchy that says, "No, you're the wrong color or you're the wrong type." You, we don't want you in our house no in this house it's for whosoever will i'm not an umpire i'm just here to play the game yeah. so if you're expecting me to throw people out because they worship a little different than you nope i'm just gonna light a fire You know, but I do know this, that deadwood catches on fire easier. So you better watch out. You hang around the fire long enough, it'll catch your deadwood on fire. Whoosh. And that's what we need in this world, right? We need a fire so big, so hot, that the devil cannot stop it. The church can't shut it up or shut it down. A pastor has nothing to do with it. It's just the fire of Almighty God, and it burns so bright, it's a light in a dark place. And we're not going to put a bushel over it. We're not going to put a basket over it. No, let it burn. Let it burn down 30 up 57, down 57, across 64 across the rivers Let it get loose so the disciples found out when they said the problem is we're in danger they found out that Jesus is Lord over their danger and when you find yourself in danger, whatever your storm is you're going to find out that he's Lord over your danger too. Whatever storm of sickness or disease or infirmity, whatever curse the enemy's trying to put on your life, you're going to find out that the Lord can speak to whatever storm that's going on in your life and he can call it by name and tell it to be still. In the Greek, the words be still are to be muzzled. They're the same words that Jesus would use when he spoke to demons. Whether you have a disease in your body that's shouting at you, we say be still, be muzzled. No pain, no discomfort, no lasting issues. Going on. Be muzzled right now in the name of Jesus. Those generational curses that the enemy has put on you, and he's telling you, I got your dad with cancer, I got your grandpa with cancer, I'm gonna get you with cancer. We say, Be still. Be muzzled by the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Be muzzled. Shut your mouth, devil. You're not gonna have a word in here. I'm not gonna give place to you. I'm not gonna give you an inch. I'm not gonna let you whisper. I'm not gonna let you shout. I'm not going to let you type it. I'm not going to let you post about it. Be muzzled. You ever muzzle an animal? The animal cannot get the muzzle off of them. And Peter said of your enemy that he's like a roaring lion. And that roaring lion is going to get muzzled. And the king of kings is the one putting a muzzle on him. And he's not going to be able to get the muzzle off of him when Jesus muzzles whatever your storm you're going through in your life. So he says, be still. And then guess what? They made it to the other side. Lo and behold, Jesus' word came true. They made it to the other side. And when they come over to the other side, we have a new problem. We had danger. Now we got demons. Oh, pastor, demons are a problem. No, they're not. Oh, pastor, those sexually immoral spirits, they're a problem. I'm not sure. But we, let's, we can cast out those spirit over there. But this one, the problem is unbelief. So they say, oh, the problem is demons. So they, as soon as they exit the ship, they're met by a man that has a different problem. His problem or his storm was demons, not danger, it was demons. And the man's dwelling among the tombs. And because he was dwelling among the tombs, we see that the enemy is robbing him of something. He's being robbed of his family, and he's being robbed of his friends. Let me say this to you. While you have a family member who is going through some addiction, and you feel like it's robbing you of something, equally true, the enemy is robbing them of something. Because you separate from somebody over something that's going on in life, you are being hurt by it. But equally true, they are being hurt by it. Because it's the will of God that they be around family and they be in the church. And so the enemy is stealing from them too. And what we often do is the church acts just like the people of Gadara. The people of Gadara isolated him and then bound him. They put him out from among them, and then they said, we're going to bind him up. Uh, Historians say that they put a soldier, and the soldier was shackled to him. They put a guard over him to keep him out of their town. Could it be that the church has said to those who have a problem with demons, we would rather shackle you, and we would rather isolate you than to bring you into our house and deliver you? We don't want your kind in our place. We would rather put you out there and you can dwell among the tombs where you have a constant reminder of what death is going to do to you. This is what they did. The Bible says that no one could bind him. No, not one. They could shackle him, not even with chains. So he was robbed of his family, robbed of his friends. Now he's robbed of his sanity and his self-control. And now he's bent on his own destruction. When you see people bent on their own destruction, my friend, that is a demon at play. There isn't anybody who is in their right mind or in a spiritual right mind who wants to destroy themselves. You want to wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle not. Not against flesh and blood, but against principality and powers that wants to destroy them. Jesus told you the playbook of the devil. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Man does not want to destroy himself, but the enemy is tempting them to do his own work for him. So what you need to do is not rebuke the person. You need to rebuke the spirit. You can look at the man of Gadara, and you see the progression that happens. They're isolated, they're bound, and left for dead. That's what the enemy wants to do. And this man who is bound, isolated, and left for dead, he sees Jesus. He runs to Jesus, and he worships. Mark 5, verses 6 through 7, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice. Oh, we don't want anybody getting loud in church. I think we're going to have a time in church where those who need deliverance will cry louder than the people who have already been delivered. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I went to everybody I could go to, and all I can find is I need you, Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And let us not be a church that says, quiet down. Let us be a church that says, come on. He's passing by. He's passing by. Reach out and touch him. He's going to deliver you right now. He's going to take away that addiction out of your life right now. Go on, brother. Sister, get Jesus. He said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now the disciples were fearful in the boat because Jesus calmed the storm. They were fearful of the revelation that he was the Messiah. Here a demon possessed man runs up and he accepts the fact that he is the son of God. Church folks don't want Jesus to be Jesus, but demon-possessed people want Jesus to be Jesus. That's a shame, isn't it? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. James says the devils believe and they tremble, James 2.19. Demons know who Jesus is. And they quake in their boots when they are aware of his presence. So let me just say something to the church. When Jesus shows up in the church service, there is going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. And if shaking bothers you, then you don't want Jesus in the house. But the demons know that he is real and they tremble. We likewise should tremble in the presence of Almighty God. The church needs to have some movement about it. And shake when the presence of God comes in. Because you can't contain the glory of the Almighty God and the majesty of his presence. If you can handle that, then you're way different than me. But when God's glory sets in a house, there are times I don't know what to do. I don't even have the words to describe it. All I can do is get on my knees and bow before him and let my tears be caught in a bottle to him. Oh, that church is just too emotional. No, this church has Jesus. I had one time this... This group of people back when we did connect cards, I think connect cards are used to the devil. So I don't know, 50 or 60 of them got together and they wrote me a letter on their connect cards. All of them, the same exact thing. You're more anointed when you're in a suit. So if you don't know me, I'm snarky. Pastor Tim says, you're a scrapper. And so I got up the next Sunday in a suit and tie, and I preached about dead flies, how dead flies spoil the anointing oil of the apothecary. And there's a bunch of dead flies, a bunch of mosquitoes and gnats. But I said, am I more anointed now? We don't need dead things in the church. We serve a living God. We need a church that is alive. And it doesn't matter how you dress or what you wear. You have the anointing of God all over your life. And the enemy wants to get you into legalism to strap the anointing off of you. And you say, I'm not dressed right. No, you lay your hands on the sick and watch them recover. You lay hands on them in Jesus' name. If Jesus can be stopped by a necktie, then he's not Jesus. So I don't wear suits very often. Because personally, I think I'm more anointed in a pair of New Balances and Lululemons. I want to get comfortable because we're about to exercise some authority. And I don't wear a suit to exercise. I wear comfortable clothes for the task at hand. Birdie seeing my phone's gonna vibrate. <laughs> Let's just compare results. While you sit there with your four and no more, and your fewer the pure, God's pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. You cannot deny what God is doing in this house. Come what may, let hell bring whatever it wants to bring. We will stand. We are not of them that draw back to perdition. We're not going to waste what God has done arguing over things that won't amount to a hill of beans. Come heaven. So Jesus said to him, come out, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. I'm just, just going to pause here. I'll probably get pulled down from YouTube. But when people start talking in the plural about themselves, something's wrong. We are many. Well, let's get we out of you so that you can be who God called you to be. He didn't say save yourselves, plural. He said save yourself, singular. So he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. And a legion, just for those of you who want to know, is 6,000 soldiers. Now, there was a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And so my phone just is vibrating. So all the demons begged him. If that's you, Franklin, thank you. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. See, the, the devil doesn't care whether he's in a human or a pig because he can make a human turn into a pig. As soon as that was said, once Jesus gave them permission, then the unclean spirits went out and they entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And please, I don't want to be crass in what I'm getting ready to say. But I want to show you something. That the man was able to resist what the enemy wanted him to do. The enemy immediately showed what his desire was for the man of Gadara by tempting and putting the, the swine into a spirit of suicide. But the man was able to resist and how the man was able to overcome is he went to Jesus. And so this spirit of suicide that is all over our nation, it's all over the place. I'm telling you, church, we got to get serious about this. There are people who feel hopeless. They feel helpless. And the enemy is trying to drive them off of a cliff. And if we will not stand up and intercede for them, the enemy is going to succeed in doing this. It's time for the church to get down to this business of praying and getting down to the business of being a friend to people who have no friends and being a brother to people who have no brothers and a sister to people who have no sisters. They find no hope. They, they're afraid to speak up their mind and the enemy is warring with them. What did he do to the man of Gadara? He isolated him. He had nobody to talk to. All he had was somebody there that kept him bound up. We should not be the people that they cannot talk to and we should not be the people that keeps them bound up. We should be the people that introduces them to Jesus and he sets them free so that they can have life and they can have life more abundantly in their life. Now, Jesus did not command for those demons to go into the pigs. They requested it. Jesus simply allowed it. And once, at once, verse 13, Mark 5, at once Jesus gave them permission, then the unclean spirits went out, they entered the swine, about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. He was sitting and he was clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. So it's okay that the man is living among the tombs and he's bound up and he's cutting himself. That's okay. But we don't want anybody in their clothed and in their right mind somebody got to help me with that. Pastor, I'd rather go to church where nothing happens. Well, you can be self-prophetic, but I will tell you this, in this house, you're in the minority. Because we're going to have something happen here and I'm not afraid of it. I want to see people clothed and in their right mind. See, the fact that the man was torturing himself was less frightening to those people that he's in his right mind. So again, the presence of God, the kingdom of God often causes more fear and frustration to church people than what the devil is doing. I I just wonder if if some of us would know what to do when the issue that has us bound is no longer binding us. Would we even know what to do? Or has it become so much of our identity that we fight to keep what God is trying to free us from. Our society is fully on this path right now. There are many more religious folks that are totally satisfied with what the devil is doing in and to our society, and they're totally against the power of God. No greater example than with this balloon that crossed our country. We allowed the balloon to fully go across the country and shoot it down after it had accomplished its, its task instead of when we first identified that it was a threat to us. That is exactly what's wrong in our church world too. We see the storm brewing. We see it coming, but then we allow the enemy to devour us instead of destroying it the first time we ever took notice of it. You have a radar, my friend, and it's better than NORAD. It's the Holy spirit that's warning you that the enemy is out to get you. So you might as well destroy it and shoot it down before it ever crosses your threshold. It poses no threat. No, the enemy always poses a threat. But he disguises it in such a way that you don't think it's a threat. It's just a balloon. It's not just the balloon. It's what's behind the balloon. It's not just a lie of the enemy. It's what's behind the lie of the enemy. And he loves to disguise it in a place where you say it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And that's what I would say again. Folks are fine with spirits. Just not the holy one. Halloween is quickly outpacing Christmas. We can dress our kids up as ghouls and goblins and demons and they can go to school like that. Just don't carry a Bible. And Christians are as guilty of that as the world is. Because it has been disguised like it's no big deal. It's just Halloween, Pastor. Yeah, the enemy has taken what we thought was going to be decent and good and he has twisted that and completely perverted that. It's not about trick or treat. It's about getting your family and your friends to have the this, this seances to the spirits. I mean the, the devil worshipers are opening up abortion clinics. This is what's going on. We have become so accepting of their spirits while they reject our spirit but our spirit has the authority over their spirit and we're allowing them to run rampant all over our society because we refuse to say anything oh it's no big deal it's just a balloon it's just a costume it's just a holiday no my friend this is about eternity Oh, pastor, it was just a Christmas present. It was just a Ouija board. It was just, oh, come on. We're messing with some things that are a gateway for the enemy to gain control. And my Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Oh, pastor, you you just don't understand. It's just a movie. No, no. Hollywood is being used by the enemy to control the airwaves. He is the prince and the power of the air. It's in the music. It's in the shows. It's in everything that they do to promote an agenda that is not godly. And while we're getting kicked off of YouTube, your kids can go on to YouTube and watch all kinds of nastiness and trash, but shut the church down. But not on my watch. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will take a stand for truth and righteousness. It is a big deal. I'll make a deal with the school system. You teach them about the literal birds and the bees and I'll teach them about the other birds and the bees. You don't need to talk to my children about sex. That's my job. I'm the parent. That's my job. And I'm not going to let you influence my children with your agenda. There is an agenda of the king that we need to promote in our houses. And so we parents who are sticking our heads in the sand like a bunch of spiritual ostriches, while you are silent, the enemy is shouting at your children. they has got them in their earbuds, and they are drowning you out in the natural, and they're drowning you out in the spiritual. Listen, there is no right to privacy in the McKinnon's household. I want to know what you're listening to. I want to know What you're watching, I'm gonna approve it. You don't have a right to prophecy. Get them AirPods out and hear what thus saith your dad. I'm gonna ask the Lord for a couple weeks just let me comb my hair back differently. Ever since He's made me comb my hair this way, there's a wild man in the pulpit. I have to go home and find out who that dude is. But i listen, man. I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm sick of having to sit back silent when we hold and possess the greatest gift that anybody could ever have, and I have to apologize that the Holy Ghost moved in the church, and I not even have to apologize to the world. I'm gonna apologize to other church folk that God's moving, man. If you had what I have in my life, you'd want to use it too. We don't have to apologize. And, and here's the next level and those who saw it verse 16 Mark 5 and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine then they began to plead with him to depart from their region they, were, they, they felt more uh, responsibility and the pigs were so important to them that that's what they were upset about you can kill a baby just don't abuse an animal give to church but I'll give to the humane society gonna get tied in here Romans chapter 1 talked about people who would love the creature more than the creator pastor I just want to know when my dogs go to heaven how about we get your kids there Red Rover, Red Rover, send your kids on over. I love animals. Don't mess with Marlo and Lucy. They're going to heaven with me. Matter of fact, I think Marlo's going to be barking before the trumpet sounds because she knows the UPS man's seven blocks away. And the minute that Gabriel moistens up his lips and puts him to the trumpet, Marlo's going to let me know. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And how I know that Marlo goes, Jesus is going to have a ball in his hand and Marlo is going to get it. Be careful. Pigs become more important to people than a man's soul. And the fact that the world prioritizes pigs above people should not shock us. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. How was this man delivered so completely that he wanted to stay with Jesus continually? How was he delivered so completely that he wanted to stay with Jesus continually? By his word. The very word that the disciples forgot that the minute the storm blew up was the very word that delivered this man so completely that he wanted to stay with Jesus continually. I want that kind of a word in your life where it delivers you so completely you want to stay with him continually. And Jesus is begged by the man. He said, please let me go with you. Please let me go with you. Matter of fact, if you read that parable, there were three prayers that were prayed. First, the demons cried, let us go into the pigs. And Jesus said, go. The Gadarene people said to Jesus, leave our region. And Jesus left. The man who was demon possessed after he was delivered, he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no. He said, No. Two of them, he answered and said, I'll do what you've asked. The third one, he said, I will not comply with your request. Because the greatest witness for you is not to follow me. The greatest witness for you is to go back to the town who bound you up and show them you're free. See, history tells us, history tells us there was a great... Presence of the church in Gadara. No doubt being led by a man who they once wanted to throw out and now they were inviting him in. That's revival. People who were once on the wanted list are now on the needed list. That's revival. Mark chapter 5, verse 22, and behold, Jesus is in the town of Gadara and the team's getting ready. I'm going to close. Jesus went on a boat across the water to the town of Gadara. He delivers a man. He gets back in the boat and he heads back across the water. Now, I've been to this little portion of the Sea of Galilee. It's five miles across the Sea of Galilee. It probably would have been easier for Jesus to have walked around the Sea of Galilee instead of going across it on the water. What I have found is that Jesus always travels on the water. See, water is a type of the Holy Spirit. Jesus travels on the Holy Spirit. And we can say to him, you know, Jesus, it would have been easier if we'd have walked. We wouldn't have had the storm. But the enemy doesn't resist what is easy. He resists what is spirit-filled. And so Jesus crosses the water delivers the man of Gadara, gets back in the boat, crosses back over, and the whole multitude of people are there. And Mark points out two specific individuals that are among the multitude. One was a ruler of the synagogue who is was Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him, Jairus is begging Jesus, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So now, get this picture. So he's, he's lord over danger. He's lord over demons. And now we're fixing to see that he's lord over a delay. Jairus' daughter is dying. He meets Jesus on the shoreline. He's begging him to come to his house. So Jesus is like, let's go to your house. They're on their way to the house, going to go heal Jairus' daughter before it gets much worse. And a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years interrupts Jesus heading to Jairus' house. Now, I know what a lot of folks would do. She's had it for 12 years, Jesus. It can keep a little longer. But my daughter... This has just come on her right now and I need to get you to her so you don't have time for this woman with the issue of blood. Jairus did not say that. Jesus is touched by this woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says she come up from behind him and she touched him. Now Jesus didn't touch her. She touched him. And I think a lot of folks are always waiting for Jesus to touch them. But in your desperation, you can touch him jesus i know you're passing by and i know you're headed over to pete's house but hey at jason's house we need a touch and he came up from behind him and immediately jesus felt virtue come out of him she drew something out of jesus that he was not intending for it to be drawn out of him he had no expectation that that was about to happen she reached out and touched him and she drew out of jesus what she needed and jesus felt it and he turns around he's headed towards jerry's house she touches him and he turns around and now listen all kinds of people were touching him he was being thronged being pushed and shoved walking he's jesus he turns around he says who touched me this woman wanted her relationship with jesus to be just like her relationship was before anonymous off in the quiet because she wasn't allowed to go in because of her issue she just wanted to stay in the shadows Didn't want to give a big speech in front of Jesus. She had dealt with this for 12 years. For 12 years, her house was in desperation. Equally true, Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. So at the same time that this woman goes into her issue, there is a blessing that is given to Jairus. And for 12 years, her house was in desperation. And for 12 years, Jairus' house was in celebration. She lived anonymous and he was a ruler of the synagogue. She, nobody knew her, didn't want her around. Everybody knew who Jarius was. Jarius did not get upset because there's a lesson to be learned if you're Jarius is that the miracle that Jesus did for her shows you and builds your faith of what Jesus is getting ready to do for you. Immediately, the blood is... Immediately, she's healed from 12 years. And about that time, somebody from the master's house, somebody from the church, who's watching it go on, runs up and she says, you cannot trouble the master any longer. She's dead. It's gotten worse. See, Jesus, they believe that Jesus could heal the disease. But because of the delay... He now could not overcome death. We have faith as long as we believe it's going to happen. We lose our faith when we don't think that Jesus has showed up in the time slot that we thought he should have showed up. Right? Mary and Martha, behold, But now he stinketh. And if you'd have just been here four days ago, Jesus... this is what we do to him you're late you're late i knew you could heal him off of his sick bed but you can't raise him up off his deathbed. jesus knew that this word would trouble jarius and he looks at jarius as soon as his servant says to him that his daughter is dead jesus looks at him and says believe only in other words you keep believing I know what you just heard is going to shatter your faith. But listen, friend, I'm with you, and you keep believing, Jarius. And he knew that the word of the non believer was going to touch the one who believed. And you're going to have to block some folks on Facebook so you can still believe they're gonna come and say well by now he stinketh now your son's really gone now your daughter's really gone i mean if he had just come during purpose conference and during the 21 days of prayer and fasting i believe he could have been saved oh yeah yeah and what happens is it is wants to rattle your belief in the one in whom you have believed in and jesus said you keep believing he heads to the house of jarius he takes only peter and james and john I don't need all the rest of you because the more numbers we get sometimes, we might get somebody in here that doesn't believe. So I'm going to stick to the ones that I know will pray this thing through with me. He goes into Jerry's house, and here's what he says. Now they have professional mourners. You know, we have those in the church today, right? Professional mourners. They'll mourn with you, but will never celebrate with you. I can commiserate. Yeah, yeah, my son did the same thing, and he's still out there. Let me. Maybe you didn't grow up like I did. We had some professional mourners in the church when I was growing up, man. If God was moving on a high, they were sitting there like this. But man, if we were weeping and crying and gnashing the teeth, they're like... Their favorite part of the service was prayer request, not victory report. I'm sorry, did I say something? I mean, they would even take testimony service and flip that around hell the devil's been running me ragged all week long well why don't you turn around and resist him he's just wearing me out well wear him out this is supposed to be testimony service and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony it didn't say woe is me it said a greater is he That's why we don't have testimony service. I can't trust people to say, man, look what the Lord has done. They all want to say, look what the devil's doing. Well, look what the Lord has done. So here's what Jesus said. Get them professional mourners. The King James says, get the scorners out. Other translations say they mocked him to scorn. Get the mockers out. Get them out. Those who don't believe, get them out of here. And you leave me and this alone. And he said, girl, rise up. Now, some of us, we're a little too churchified, right? He would have to and M-A-D-I-C-N-E, and untie a bow tie for some of us. Like, it can't be that easy. For all of you, that's just... Some folks believe that if you don't speak in tongues, it's not going to happen. Can I tell you, though, the pure language, death doesn't understand. Because that's a heavenly language. So I'm going to speak in a language he does understand. Get out. You don't belong here. There's no place for you. He says, Rise up. And the girl rises up. People are shouting, worshiping God. And then Jesus says, Alright, we've done the supernatural. Let's do something natural. Give her something to eat. Give her a PB&J. Because some of us rely so much on the supernatural, we ignore the natural. That's it. You want Jesus to heal you, but you are violating every natural law in your body. I knew a fellow one time, he came to me and he said, Pastor, he said, I want you to pray for me. I got sugar diabetes. And I said, Brother, I will pray. I said, But you could help me out. Right, You should not inject yourself with so much insulin that you could go to the restaurant and engorge yourself. I believe that God can heal you, but let us do our part. Do something natural. We believe in the supernatural, but then let us do something natural. But most of us rely on the supernatural so that we can continue to violate the natural. Now, I just got on food. Let me get on something else. If the Lord delivered you from alcohol supernaturally... Maybe you should abstain from going to a bar where you're not tempted to partake of the alcohol again. If the Lord delivered you and saved your marriage, maybe you naturally should get off the social media page that led you to the temptation that you needed to be delivered of supernaturally. Maybe we should get a dumb phone because the smartphone is outsmarting us and giving us the ability to sin when nobody else knows about it. So maybe if the Lord delivers you from the smartphone, you should get a dumb phone. Shall we call it a flip phone? so that you'll flip your behavior and not get wrapped back up in the things that the Lord has delivered you from. When it's tight, it's right. The problem was in the room with the girl was unbelief. And Jesus said, cast out the unbelievers so we, I can handle this. In Mark chapter 9, There was a man who said, Lord, I sent, I sent my son. I I got the disciples and they prayed for him and nothing happened. Lord, I need you to come. And Jesus in Mark chapter nine, verse 23, said, if you can only believe, and if you believe, then all things are possible. And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. See, Jesus can overcome. He's the Lord over danger. He's the Lord over demons. He's the Lord over the delay. He's the Lord over death. But you have to help yourself overcome your unbelief. Jesus was in a room, and he said he could do no healings there. He could do no miracles there. It's because of unbelief. In Psalm 78, he said, you need to remind your children, because they don't even want to believe that I did these things and unbelief in the church will stymie revival it'll stymie the supernatural and here's what unbelief usually starts as well we tried that one time we did that one time been through this before and that is cloaked in unbelief And my question to you is whose report will you believe Will you believe the report of the Lord and what God's doing and what God desires to do? Or will you believe what they're saying as their report? Church is weak, church is anemic. Well, then, my friend, you haven't been to one of our services. You're not serving the same God I'm serving. My God still heals, He still delivers, He still liberates. He's the Lord over danger and storms. and He's the Lord over demons. and He's the Lord over the delay. and He's the Lord over death. I believe this. I believe. So just real quickly, if you just stand with me across the building. See, one of the things in church is we're afraid to be honest in church. We're afraid people are going to say something about us or... How could you be going through that if you just come out of 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, because every word is tested. It says, Our prayer teams are coming. If you find yourself in a storm, danger, the winds are beating against you, the waves are beating against you, you feel like your boat is sinking. you find yourself in that kind of a storm i want you to get out from where you are from up in the balcony area wherever you are i don't care if you're in the production room i just want you to hear the heart of a pastor for those of you that serve never should what you do in ministry keep you from being ministered to so, if you got to walk away from a camera, if you got to walk away from an instrument, if you got to walk away from a computer, if you got whatever it is you're doing in ministry, you should never allow that to prevent you from being ministered to. So, if you find yourself in a storm, you find yourself in danger, I want you to come right now and I want us to pray over you. Or if you're in this room and you feel like the enemy has your child in bondage and isolated, or your loved one isolated or bondage and there needs to be an authority over demons. I want you to come. Or if you're in this room and you feel like God has delayed his response to you. You feel like he's blessing other people, but he has forgotten about you. Well, my friend Jarius, he healed the woman and he healed yours too. God is never late. He is never late. He never misses an appointment. He is always on time. So whatever you might have need of in this room, this is your opportunity to perform the word of the Lord in James chapter 5 where it says we call upon the elders and we ask the elders to pray a prayer of faith with us. And My Bible says where two or three agree on any one thing that he will do that. If we'll come into agreement, our God will do that. And then if you're in this room and You feel like the enemy is warring with your mind. He's trying to isolate you. He's trying to put you into bondage. He's whispering false into your mind to self-harm or to do harm to yourself or do harm to a relationship, do harm in your marriage. This is a moment. This is a moment. The waters are troubled right now for you to be healed right now in this moment. So as the worship team sings, we're going to sing a song. And we're going to worship and then just in a few moments DA or Shelley's going to come and dismiss you in this moment. Let's keep this as a holy moment right now where our God is meeting and touching lives right now in this place. So Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit do what only it can do. I pray right now, Lord, your Spirit would heal, would touch, it would comfort, it would bring peace right now to every troubled life and every troubled soul. You are the Lord. You are sovereign in every way. And we let you, Lord, have your way in this place and in our lives and in our family, in Jesus' name. If you need prayer, please come. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.